there and welcome to the Extraordinary Podcast. This is Tobias Dahlberg, uh, Chief Strategist and Founder at Wondering. This is the second part of the Marty Neumeyer interview. And in case you didn't catch the first one, I suggest you go and listen to that first. And in case you have, this is the second part. And if you want to connect with Marty, I suggest you go to his website, martineumeyer.com. And I warmly recommend signing up for his newsletter. And I also warmly recommend getting at least one of his excellent books. You won't regret it. I promise you. The newest one is called The Brand Flip. There will be a new one coming out this fall. We're going to devote an entire episode to that book. It's going to be called Scramble, but it will be different from the, the recent one, The Brand Flip. So I really recommend you get that. Also, his older books are excellent too. They're, uh, the first one was called The Brand Gap. The second one was called Zag. Excellent book. Uh, the 46 Rules of Genius, Meta Skills. And so I really recommend you get all his books. By now, I'm sure you've understood that I really like Marty Neumeyer's books. Marty has not asked me to push any of his products. I want to make that clear. In any case, I hope you enjoy the episode. And as always, I'm really thankful for engagement, subscriptions. I'm really here for you. I'm here to support hopefully inspire and, and uh, provide strategies and tactics for you as you go on to build not just a mediocre, boring, bland brand, but an extraordinary brand that not only makes you successful, that makes your customers happy and successful as well. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy the episode. Uh, I'm going to go back to a couple of the Martyisms, which I've, which I've um, kind of maybe in a selfish way thought that had been the most useful uh, of your your vast body of work. And I think one of them is simply about differentiation. Of course, branding is really essentially about differentiation and value creation. Uh, when everybody zigs, zag, uh, that's become something I've read in many different places. And I know um, you told me before that people approach you and say that sounds like such a cliche, because <laughs> because you actually created that cliche, <laughs> so it comes back to you now when people think you're lame for for <laughs> oh, that old thing, yeah, that yeah. zag thing, jeez, yeah, I hear that yeah. one more time, yeah. <laughs> I think is it even one of the big advertising agencies that had it, has it as a slogan nowadays? I won't tell which one it is. But but uh, it is has become a slogan of a, of a famous advertising agency. Uh, but what speaking of differentiation, one of the perhaps the most sort of eye opening idea that I stumbled across was the onlyness statement, which uh, I guess most useful for positioning or and and really understanding your your difference. But would you say it's a positioning exercise really? Can you explain the onlyness statement and yeah. what it does and how we can use it? Yeah, it's it's. All about positioning. It's, but I would call it, um, you know, radical differentiation is kind of what Zag is. It's it's um, going further than you think um, different should be. So you know, lots of companies are so close to what they're doing, they think any little difference between what they're doing and what a competitor is doing is a big change. You know, but to the outside world, who's like standing way back from it, looking through the wrong end of the telescope, <laughs> they see it as like hardly anything, right? <laughs> so. so th- you know, 
you've got to like really exaggerate your difference in that. Um, and it's hard to do that within a company and it's, and it's hard to uh, maintain it because companies, um, just revert back to sameness. If you know, if they don't, if they aren't continually putting effort into being different, they just, they just uh, collapse to the middle. So yeah. they just, they go with what everybody else is doing. And, you know, that's kind of human nature, isn't it? We learn by doing what other what other people are doing successfully. We yeah. see someone fishing over there and they're catching fish, so we <laughs> row over there and start fishing there. I mean, we don't think that... That's a good analogy. They were the yeah. first ones, you know, and they got there before anybody else. Yeah, so, there are no fish in, <laughs> in the pond there's no, anymore. <laughs> there's no fish over there anymore. So, you know, it's just, you've got to keep doing it. You have to have an attitude of zag. Yeah. You know. So that's kind of most of my work is about helping companies find that zag and throw everything they have behind it. Um, you have to overcommit to your difference. Yeah. I think what is interesting probably has been true before, but I think probably more than ever now. Yeah. And it's also actually the premise of this whole podcast, which is called Extraordinary, uh, that the sort of middle ground, the the average or the mediocre is becoming more and more risky that actually like not being different is actually the worst place you can be. But pe- but but the paradox is that people think that being different is risky. I think, do, would you agree? And do you see that happening with companies? Yeah, it's, it is a paradox. It's, it's, people think if you copy the other, you know, fast following is kind of a, an excuse I hear a lot. Oh, we, we, we've been successful by being fast followers. We see where the success is and we copy it immediately. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, okay. Um, you can be moderately successful doing that, but you have to work harder. Yeah, You're not going to get the benefit of being first. You're not going to get the reputation of being the only or the first. You're just going to be someone who's competing. Yeah. And so what happens when companies copy each other is they compete away the profits. Mm. They just um, steal profits from each other. Instead of finding new territory where there's lots of customers and interest, they just keep you know, fishing in the same territory. So, you know, that's, that's what onlyness is about. It's, it's just keeping that, finding your niche and keeping and holding on to it and defending it and, and growing it. Um, and when you're done with that niche, move to another one. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. How, how, when people ask uh, you about differentiation, and I know this question comes up, we've spoken about this before as well, that, how different should you be? Like on one hand, you have these gigantic corporations that when you look from the outside, you feel like, mm, how are they that different? You know, but they're yet, they're quite successful or they're massively successful. And then like, how do you know where to put the, the scope? You know, if you're too different, am I going to be too niche and people won't like me? You know, I think these are the questions that a lot of companies are asking themselves. How do you navigate that? Well, I think differentiation is crucial to startups and smaller companies. And as you grow, it, it, um, you, it's, sa- it's safer to, to, um, to, to broaden out. But, but it's also, you got to watch it because if you broaden out too much, you just come into competition with everybody. And if you're in competition with a player who only does one thing and you're trying to do that same thing, you may be a big company and maybe you can force that product out there yeah, but you're gonna lose. You're gonna lose to that little scrappy one. Yeah. So, this whole idea of um, how is it possible for um, 
these big companies to get so big when they aren't differentiating, when they're not focusing, when they're sort of unfocusing. Uh, the best way to understand that, I think, is through the game of uh, paper, scissors, rock. Um, you know, that children's game where, you know, scissors cuts paper, and so scissors wins. Um, paper covers rock and therefore wins. Rock breaks scissors and therefore wins against the scissors. So if you think of the scissors companies as the startups, they're sharp. They have sharp focus. Mm. They, they snip off little pieces of potential, uh, you know, uh, parts of the brandscape, let's say, yeah. from from big companies who are so big they can't bother with it. They're just, like, there's yeah. not enough money in a new thing for a big company. Yeah. So they, they don't go there because it's just not going to amount to anything compared to how much money they need to make. Quarterly. Yeah. So, so the little companies are free to just snip off little pieces. Yeah, I think um, if I may jump in there, I think uh, I think I see this a lot. Like when I go and speak to big corporations, and and you, and you ask them questions like, "Hey, how are you acting on this health and well-being trend?" Or you know, and then they're like, "Oh, well, that's only a tiny fraction of the market. You know, that's slow. You probably live in this in this region of the city. You know, in the big." think the whole yeah. country and this is nothing but then that is actually on trend and it's moving in like a thunderstorm <laughs> you know so these small players yeah. are able to and position then, themselves and then the big guys end up buying those companies at high valuations and uh, they do but but it's usually not the biggest companies so what what happens is a scissors company sure yeah 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 well here's the mean, thing yeah. about a scissors company yeah. there's so many that fail all the time you don't think about the ones that fail um and a lot of times they're um their successes are accidents. Right? Mm. And so they hit upon one little niche, they find uh, some fringe kind of product or service, and it happens to be on trend. And they get lucky, they ride it, um, and they start to grow. Mm. And suddenly, they're growing like, you know, 50% or 100% a year, year over year, they're growing. And so uh, everyone's now paying attention. And so they end up in a position where they're doing really well, but where do they go from here? Then they have to create another product. Now, the mm. first one was probably an accident, even though they think they did it on purpose. But when they go to do it a second time, they realize, hey, this is harder than we thought doing this innovating at will. <laughs> so there's yeah. danger as they go from that that phase being a scissors company to being a rock company. So it grows in that direction. You start as scissors, you grow to rock. Rock is momentum. Mm -hmm. Throwing a rock, it's small, but it's powerful. It hurts. And then if that, <laughs> it hurts when it hits you. <laughs> and if, and if the rock company, rock company manages to get past that phase and go into the next phase, it spreads out into a paper company and then it's everything. It's broad, it's broad. And then it can, and the paper company um, then reaches a limit and it starts breaking up into little scissors companies again. So little mm. people leave the company, they start so forth. There's a limit to how big you can grow, but you yeah. can grow pretty darn big in some areas. So so those are the three areas and, and growth moves from scissors to rock to paper, but it competes in the opposite direction. Mm. So mm. if you're... It's brilliant. Um, it's a brilliant idea. If, yeah. it's, it's a, it, it really helped me think about how all these companies could... Um, Compete. How can a big company lose to a little company? How can a little company knock out a big company or succeed against in in the environment of a? Oh, okay. Here's a good good um, example of one that did. So, um, Method, the soap company. I don't mm. know if you have that. Yeah, we do actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Method Home. Yeah. It's it's 
Yeah, so it, Method it, Home, right. Yeah, it was bought by uh, Eckerber, I think the Dutch company, a few years ago, yeah. It was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there's a good example of this this at work. And so let's just use that as an example and explore that for a minute. So these guys come along, a couple of guys, and um, they come up with um, uh, environmentally friendly soap that actually cleans stuff, not the wimpy kind that nobody would buy because it's just like, no, give me the good stuff. I, I have real dirt I have to deal with. So they figured that out and they and they created beautiful packaging for it and so forth. Now they had a problem of, uh, gee, we're up against Procter and Gamble, who owns all the shelves in the supermarket. So, how do we even get in there? Yeah. And so they had to figure that out. Like, how do we get? How do they make room for us? Um, and so they talked their way into having like a little special section, like an end cap. Maybe they had to pay for that, but they got in that way. Yeah. But they had to knock out space on the shelf um, against these entrenched competitors, and they yeah. did it. So now. They they're no longer a scissors company now they're they're a rock company they got momentum they're in with the big guys yeah. they have to grow they have to create more things and so forth how do they get to that next stage well they they sell themselves to a bigger company yeah yeah to get the power to do that um, so that that's how they got through that so what happens is between each stage between moving from a scissors company all about focus to a rock company that's all about momentum there's a dangerous area. Um, in between there's rough waters in between you got to make that leap mm. and if you make that then you're going to have to make the leap from a moment a rock company to a paper company and there's danger there so a lot of change happens in between those stages yeah uh, and so you know like going from um from from say rock to paper you're probably going to get a new ceo mm. you're going to get a new management team that can deal with shareholders and uh you know, finance and a lot of stuff wasn't quite important. And um, so all, all that stuff happens. And so just to really, I, I covered this in um, in my second book, Zag, yeah. at the back of the book. Um, and it's just, it's it's a little bit off the target or it's a little more sophisticated than the rest of the book, which is really about onlyness. So it's overlooked by a lot of people, including me. But now I'm thinking <laughs> this is actually explains a lot. And yeah. Um, it's worth um, building out a little bit and talking about that with people. Yeah, I think it's it's very true because the whole topic of differentiation, I think, is starting to, well, it's catched on. People know they should be different, but I think how they should be different, like you said, it's not right. about, you know, having, you know, the other competitors red, so we're going to be blue, but it's actually about, right. like, having a meaning attached to you and, and creating value yeah. that is different, but... But it's not maybe that simple after all. Like like from this conversation, I mean, I think the learning is that it's different depending a little bit on who you are and what situation you are, in terms of your size. Maybe maybe yeah, there's even more to that. Yeah, there's an art to it. I think um, sensing where you should be and how different. You know, how should we be different and how different should we be? <laughs> Those yeah. two questions. Yeah, um, are are get really hard as, as you start to grow. It's simple in the beginning. You know, it's just a lot of work to be a startup, but usually if you've got a clear idea that's riding a trend, yeah, you'll make it to that next stage. It's just when you get bigger, it becomes more complicated and it takes a lot of judgment. Yeah. And probably some frameworks that are not being taught very well in business school. They're mm. just, because uh, business school is always about, uh, it seems to me like about 10 years behind uh, what's actually happening at the top of the field. Mm-hmm. Like you know, at the at the at the burning edge of of uh, change, which is, means is like 
Yeah, sorry. I was yeah. going to say, which means that when you actually become a director, you're going to be like 30 years behind unless you keep yourself up to date on things yeah. because the fresh guys are not going to have so much to say when they enter work life. So, yeah. Yes, yes. Um, you know, companies now have to be learning companies. They have to always be learning new things. It's it's uh, different than it was. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, 30 years ago, it was more stable. Things moved more slowly before the internet. Um, and you didn't have to keep learning so quickly. Now, um, you know, graduating from, you know, MBA school is just the beginning of learning. Yeah. There's a whole book by Marty, by the way, out there called Meta Skills, which everyone should pick up because that really deals with that, all those skills. It's it's such I've a wonderful book. It, I, it's uh, it's also a lot. I think we, we don't have time to go too deep into that, but that's, that is a brilliant book. I think that is a, a book. I, I can't imagine how you even got through to writing that book. I mean, it's just like a package oh. of new, fresh ideas. Like such a oh. such an incredible book. Thank you. Yeah. The um, let's see. So we've covered. Um, just gonna have a look through my notes. Yeah, the one thing I wanted to ask you, I mean, you've you've had a long and successful career and you've uh, worked as a consultant. You've been doing work both as an author and speaker and, of course, as a practitioner, which I really respect because when you're a practitioner, you actually know what is real and what, what companies are really dealing with out there. What, in your experience, is the perhaps one or two uh, most difficult things in branding and if you could change something or give you know ceos a magic pill to 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 have you know one new idea which would change the game for them like what could that be or what would that be what is the most difficult thing about Mm. branding i think the most most difficult thing in branding is um getting a complex organization to execute a simple idea yeah so obviously you have to have a simple idea, a simple zag. Even big companies need something, you know, that makes them different. Even Procter & Gamble has that. You know, they they know who they are. It's yeah. this very methodical scientific approach to to creating products that make your life easier so that you don't you have time to do other things except the laundry. Yeah. Um uh so um but but getting the whole company to execute on that in a way that has meaning for customers mm. is um, it's not for sissies. <laughs> so you really have to be very clear about that. You know what I, I more and more, I think as we go into this next, uh, the fifth age of branding, let's call it when um, the culture of the company is built around customers. Mm. I think we're going to see a different organizational structure um, start to appear a little in spots here and there. Maybe it's already starting to happen. Um, and I, th- I think what we're going to see is a, a two-person management scheme where the CEO, the traditional CEO, is managing the inside of the company and a CBO, chief brand officer, is ma- managing the external part of the company, meaning customers. So there's everything to do with customers is one person Everything doing to do with employees, uh, organizations, shareholders—that's all the other—and and they're they're part. It's a partnership, and I think that's what actually was happening at Apple and why it was so successful. I think you know Steve Jobs was the CEO, 
but he was really the CBO. He was in mm. charge of product design and, and he just knew the customers like he was a customer. I mean, yeah. he was like, he was like their own ideal customer with really high standards. Yeah. And, and God help you if you got in between Steve and the customers, if you like slowed him down, cause he was like all about them. I don't think he cared that much about finance or any of that stuff. He left that to Tim Cook and his team. Yeah. Um, and so really that's what you had. You were just, the, the titles were turned around, you know, the titles were wrong for, for the future. But I think, I think that that could be a model that you'll see. And I think you'll also see CEO as uh, CBO. You, the brand, the brand guy is the founder or mm. you know, probably the founder, probably m- more like a founder than a professional uh, CEO. Um, yeah. So, You'll you'll probably see that too, and I think Steve Jobs was every bit that, but of course he couldn't run the company by himself. Mm. Um, he was just the guy leading the charge, yeah, and 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 doing the talking for the company, the face of the company. So I think you're going to see more of that, and then in 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 bigger companies, you'll probably see this dual role role of the internal and external partners mm. working hand in hand. So that partnership is crucial. Yeah. Right? What what is fascinating in a slightly negative way is that in Finland the number one consumer brand company just reappointed their board of di- sorry the management team and there is not a single soul on that management team that has any has a role that in some way touches the the customer or the brand or marketing there's no marketing person there's nothing there's only legal uh, I think there's supply chain uh, there's a bunch of advisors which i think is is scary in many ways so i wonder like uh what someone at working for one of these companies could do to influence top management like how do you because i hear that question a lot how do you influence people above you in organizations to 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 turn their heads and really understand like the role of brand and branding <laughs> That's oh, really difficult without um, people at the top who are open to it, who who feel the need for some sort of change, feel the need for um, building an organization around innovation. Because if they're looking at it purely as a financial play, um, a kind of chessboard where there's, you know, doesn't matter what we're selling, yeah. just like, just it's all about the scoreboard. Yeah, yeah. The, the game doesn't matter. Yeah. We'll play any game. Just give me this. Give me a scoreboard and I'll run it. Yeah, that that isn't a recipe for long-term success or social um, contribution or anything like that. It's just someone extracting profits from from the economy. Yeah. So it doesn't sound like a recipe for long-term success, uh, but you see that in like cell phone companies and those kinds of things. It's they're all the same and nobody likes them and and they're they're vulnerable to co- real competition. Yeah. So it's just a matter of time before someone with some heart and, and uh, creativity comes in and uh, and makes a dent there. Yeah. So, and and the and, world is filled with examples, but that's that's not sufficient. Yeah. Apparently. Yeah. Yeah. One uh, maybe we should, we we're coming closer to the end. Um, uh, one idea which I've heard you talk about, which really resonates with me, and and um, is this idea of the difference between brand strategy and business strategy and how those are kind of merging that you can't really separate the two? Like, can you share just some of your thinking around that theme? 
well, this is just the general march of, you know, um, the, the, the importance of customers becoming more important all the time. So the general march of branding becoming more and more important. It used to be that, like in the 90s, um, branding was a hot topic. All these books started coming out and everybody said, you got to learn about branding. Yeah. Now nobody says that, right? Like, yeah, yeah. No, you got to learn about SEO or something, you know, and customer experience. Uh, it, yeah, because it well, it's just always something different. Yeah, uh, yeah, because we get bored with the the stuff that matters. We don't talk about advertising either, and advertising isn't yeah. going away. <laughs> yeah, we, you know, they talked about it a lot in the early part of the cent- of last century. Yeah, um, and it got really to be a big topic in the '60s, and then it's like, okay, we 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 agree that advertising is important, and we should do it well. And then we moved on to something else, you know, mm-hmm. Six Sigma or whatever, whatever. There's always new, a new yeah. hot topic. But it doesn't mean that branding isn't important. It just means that now it's so so much a part of business that you can't separate it. It's just, yeah. it's just obviously important. It's becoming so important because customers are getting to be more important that it's now almost equal um, to the power of just business management. So business management and brand and branding are pretty much equal, even if you don't think they are. Mm. Right? They they really are, because they're two sides of the same coin. Yeah. So if you can think about it as a coin, or you can think about it as a double helix. Yeah. You know, so you think about the DNA double helix, and you got two strands intertwined, and then the, they're connected by a ladder, little rods that go across, and everything. So it's kind of like that. And one strand that's business, and so yeah. that's all the stuff we are all trained to do and in uh, at the university you know it's um you know it's all the it's management and hr and r&d and a bunch of other letters Mm. so back (laughs) to uh, kind of back to your your dual role right so one representing the 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 one side of the coin is the customer facing role and the other one is perhaps the internal yeah the the back end yeah the traditional business stuff yeah yeah uh, and then the other strand is brand and that's the way the world sees you, and that's the concerns of the customer and everything. And those are intertwined, right? They're, you can't pull them apart. They're intertwined, and they're connected all the way up and down yeah. uh, horizontally. And if they're not connected or if those connections are broken, those two things aren't connected. Yeah. Then you have a broken company. You have a broken brand and a broken company because it's kind of a lie. You know, it's fake. Yeah, yeah. It's a fake, fake company. I think that's a massive insight. I mean, especially true for me, uh, doing what I do. I mean, as a brand strategist, I, I see this all the time. I actually provokingly say that most companies aren't actually pursuing any strategy. Like the problem is not that they are pursuing the wrong strategy, but they're really pursuing any strategy. And 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 then the little asterisk there would be that a strategy needs to be connected to human or customer needs. Otherwise, it's just some sort of a improvement plan or whatever you want to call it. But very few uh, brand strategies actually ever get translated in and integrated into the sort of fabric of the whole organization. They become communication strategies. So brand strategy very often, at least in this part of the world and in my world at least, they turn into slogans and they get communicated, but they don't affect you know, the product line, sourcing, uh, where you buy products from, what materials you use, which are all brand decisions. And I think as long as they can have a meaning, uh, you know, toward the customer or the customer would see a meaning where you source your product from, it's the brand decision. But that's not how companies think currently. 
Yeah, so the ladder is broken. So yeah. the connections between the two strands of the DNA are in disarray. They don't connect up, and that comes off to um, customers and employees as being inauthentic. And so the energy level goes down, passion um, disappear, dissipates. Yeah, uh, People keep their jobs, but they don't do them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that is a good uh, yeah. you know it's really not a healthy thing and and so the job of the the leaders is to keep it healthy just keep everything working everything connected together and of course it's messy and chaotic and it's not always working everywhere but that's the work of it that's the you're always rushing around patting things back into place and repairing things and, yeah. and so forth it's just like running a house or something having a house you're always repairing things right yeah. but if you don't do anything and you just like hey you i repainted it and that's all i did yeah. um you know you, eventually the house falls down it just yeah. gets old yeah and uh, so no wants to live. yeah yeah that yeah exactly that is a good analogy uh, a lot of a lot of houses are falling down unfortunately but luckily there there are a number of new houses that are being built that are doing tremendous well as as well we should we should say that and not be negative um on a, on a closing note, uh, what, you know, you've had, uh, I think it's fair to say, like a tremendous impact on the whole branding world and people's thinking. What is it that drives you and, what you know, thinking ahead? What, what is the impact you want to have? And, and what, what is, you know, what, what is uh, Marty uh, thinking about these days and going into the future? Well, I'm, I, what motivates me is um, this idea that I might be able to bring uh, some of the principles and um, formulas, and not formulas, but you know, principles and structures of design to business, because I think um, business is better for for being designed a little bit, right? Yeah. For for being um, done on, for for being on purpose. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like having a purpose and and um, and knowing what you're doing and 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 being having some control over it. Um, in a flexible way that's helpful to society. So design has that built into it. People, you know, designers are empathetic. Mm. Um, they care about things beyond just the thing they're designing. They're trying to bring something to the world that's beautiful. They, yeah. they, they're consumed with beauty yeah. in, a, in a sort of, uh, not a pretty way, but beauty in terms of elegance. And, yeah, an emotional uh, way. Efficiency yeah. and emotion, yeah. like bringing yeah. everything together. Idea of wholeness. So bringing that to to business is good for business. And, you know, businesses that that operate that way last longer and they're more profitable and um, they make for a better world. So if I can do that in some small way, I'm happy. Yeah. Um, but I think where I'm going is just um, just further. Just like what's the next step, and just see like what how can I be of help? Yeah. Uh, going forward, and so I think th this the book that I'm working on now, which will I hope we'll talk about later. Yes, uh, well, yeah. is is a step in that direction. It's showing you what does a healthy company look like from the inside, right? Mm. And um, what are the, how does it have to differ? How how what's different about it uh, from how companies operate now? So I'm projecting a little bit into the future with this. What I hope will be a series. If this book sells, there'll be a second one, and there'll be a third one, and I'll go further and further because there's a lot to say about this. Mm. Um, but I'm. I'm I'm finding that the the stories are a good way to get across this rather um, rich um, 
conversation about what companies could be. It works better than just laying out like, first you do this, second you do this, third. Okay, here's a list of things to do. Here, check off these. Um, that works in, in a, for simple uh, subjects, but not so well for complex yeah. subjects like leadership uh, in a time of change. Yeah, that is nice. I, I really like that idea. Also, I like that what you touched upon just before with how designers think and like to me it's really comes down to like business kind of lost touch with humanity for a while and and maybe now it's time to bring it back and i think there's not just time for it it's a necessity it's even for survival i think it's important that we connect with humanity again and i think that's what designers are like you say like that's where they're working for and i think the rest of us i'm, like, I'm a business major and i i definitely had to do a lot of unlearning uh, as I got into this profession where I kind of combine my my background as a strategist and uh, and learning and and working with a lot of colleagues that are designers it's been a it's been very interesting I think for the because when you can see that intersection and exactly what you're talking about where there is humanity but there's also that commercial and and business side of thing I think that's for me the the sort of the the greatest place to be in business yeah, well, I can see we're fellow travelers. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Marty, thanks so much for for this interview, and uh, and I th I also want to thank you just publicly for for mentoring me and teaching me so many, but not only through your books, but also as uh, someone I I'm happy to call a friend nowadays. It's really been a privilege. I, I really appreciate your generosity. I think uh, I think we need more people like you who spread ideas and are generous with their time and their ideas and. And uh, actually, have people copy them and and and, and create the cliches in this world. So the, the, your, your well, telephone is ringing just in time for yeah, the interview. Yeah, I have to get going. <laughs> that was well planned. Uh, well, thank you so much, Marty. Thanks so much for being the thank show. Thank you, Tobias. Very kind of you. Thank you. Talk to you soon.